Hey everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson and you're with me. Yeah, Kevin Stevenson on uh, I Don't Care with, again, me, Kevin Stevenson. So, uh, man, we've got lots to talk about. Uh, I was, uh, we've got probably, oh, 12 or 15 guests coming up over the next three to four weeks. So uh, get ready, hold on to your hats, uh, and, and certainly hold on to your hat today because my guest today yeah, uh, I was first introduced to Nate Kaufman uh, on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, Nate says what we all kind of want to say, and, and but Nate says it. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, so then uh, Nate had a session at ACAG uh, Congress a couple of weeks back. Uh, I went to that session, really, really enjoyed it. We got a chance to talk a little bit afterwards. I invited him on. And he amazingly said yes. So, Nate Kaufman, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, I think we're going to have a lot of fun today because, you know, you give us lots to talk about, particularly those of us who follow you on LinkedIn. So, let's just jump right in. You, you had a great post yesterday. You talked about the noise versus signals of things that are going on today in healthcare. So, let, let's get started on that. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I, I get real frustrated. I sit there and read. Uh, there are these academics out there talking about things like um, board members that get paid and how much charity care their hospitals are giving. Um, and of course, when they measure charity care, they're not considering the the subsidy that the hospitals are having to spend on Medicaid, and they're making this big deal about that. Um, meanwhile, they totally ignore the fact that 800,000 nurses are going to leave the workforce by 2026, the fact that 170,000 doctors have reportedly left the workforce, the fact that 600 rural hospitals are projected to close, um, the fact that one in five hospitals in California are at risk of closing, um, and it makes you wonder, like, like what are they, I was going to say, what are they smoking? But um, you, it makes you wonder, like, what are they focusing on and why are they focusing on these trivial, ridiculous issues when uh, patient access to care is being threatened all over the country. And uh, so I differentiate between noise, which is what they are creating. Um, and for some reason, the press is picking up because they write these articles in, in the publications and the signals, which are the meaningful things that are going to impact patients. And it, and it just drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I mean, we see, and, and being here in Texas, and and having a pretty broad rural healthcare basis, especially, but but it's even in in larger communities as well. We're seeing access to care decline over you know the last several years. You know, even before COVID, you know, you talked about the nursing shortage and and everybody nurses and physicians leaving at leaving the industry. Uh, that was happening before COVID, and and so there's been, you know, a lot of people have been making it that as an excuse, but that's really that's not what it was. It happened long before that. 
you know, uh, I understand age gap store scores have been flat since about 2016, 2017. So something's been going on. So, so what, what can we do? What can we do about this? What do you, what do you, I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Well, I, I believe there is a effort on the part of select foundations, as well as the payers, an organized effort, uh, excuse the expression, to puke on hospitals, to identify our weaknesses. And we're, we're easy prey for several reasons. Um, but to identify our weaknesses, for example, Medicare pays $250 for an MRI, and we charge $2,000. So it's an easy bumper sticker. Um, and, and then when we want to counter it, we say, well, hold on a second. We have to take all comers and, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, it turns out, by the way, that 40% of the patients that come in our emergency department are Medicaid patients for which we get paid almost nothing. Right. Another 10% of our patients are no-pay patients for which we do get paid nothing. So we have to charge three, four times Medicare in order to compensate for the lack of payment from the government payers and for the uninsured. Well, that's a pretty long bumper sticker that we have to get out there and nobody's really interested. But I mean, those are the prob the real problems that we have. We have to make the math work. As I say, revenue minus expenses equals survival. And when 60% of our revenue comes from the government and they pay us about 75% per dollar of cost, we have no choice but to go out to the employers and, quote, tax them for what the government doesn't pay. And... It's a very long, complicated story, but unfortunately, if we don't do that, we have to close. And when we close, patients don't get services, and that's a fact. And rather than dealing with that, they would rather talk about the bumper sticker issues of, hey, you're charging four or five times Medicare for an MRI. Well, Again, the issue is that the government doesn't even cover the cost of the equipment when they pay us for an MRI. So it, it's just that our industry is so complicated that it's easy to cherry pick. And yeah. That's the problem. No, you're exactly right. I mean, and then you look at, let's, let's start going off on managed care now because, yeah, you look at what happens in the negotiating process yeah, I know uh, the last couple of negotiations, we've actually been approached with with great decreases. And, and yeah, the pandemic, and again, as we talked about pre-pandemic issues with staffing, you know, our our staffing costs have gone up 20% plus. So where, if it, how, how else are we going to fund the ability to provide care to people without significant rate increases from managed care organizations that are making, and I'm a huge capitalist, but they're making obscene profits right now. Right. I mean, what kind of healthcare system do we have when the people that save lives, that heal people, that cure people from diseases are losing money and the people that process their claims are making record profits. That's that's the healthcare system that we have. It do, it just doesn't make any sense. That what kind of values as a nation do we have when that happens? And 
that's actually what's occurring in our country. We're, the people that deliver babies are having to shut down their obstetrical units because the people that are processing their claims need to make more money, basically. So <laughs> that's what's occurring. Yeah, I, last year I, I finished my doctorate and my research project was on the 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 lack of cardio post CV or post cabbage care in rural markets because the, because of hospital closures. You know, and and you've got people out there. You know, number one, you have a heart attack. They're shipping you fifty miles if you're lucky to a larger hospital. Most of the time, it's a hundred miles or so, particularly out west Texas. And then, okay, great, you survived that. And then, you know, you typically are going to go through cardiac rehab. You've got to do your follow-up appointments and all that. Well, you're back in your small town 100 miles plus away. People aren't doing it. And so, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about, you know, readmissions. You're talking about, you know, lack of care and all that. So, so what do you do? You know, what do you do whenever that happens? Well, the data is very clear. The private payers are putting rural hospitals out of business. Now, what do I mean by that? What a rural hospital, let's take an emergency department. They still have to hire three doctors to cover the emergency department. Right. Because they need the same infrastructure as a big emergency department. The problem is they don't have the volume. Right? So right. what they need is higher payments to cover the same infrastructure. But because they're small, they don't have the negotiating clout to get the higher payments. So they become price takers. So when Blue Cross comes in, Blue Cross says, look, you're small, here's the price, take it or leave it. So they get the lowest payments from the insurance companies. What they really need is the highest payments because they have low volume to cover a large infrastructure. So the data suggests that the reason, and there's actually research on this on the web, that the rural hospitals are going out of business is because the private payers aren't paying them enough, recognizing that they need higher payments because they have low volume to cover their infrastructure. Yeah, you're exactly right. Okay, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that there aren't some rural hospitals that shouldn't close. I'm going to be totally honest with you right. in, that, in that regard. Some of them should close. I mean, case in point, I was a, at a rural hospital many years ago out in far west Texas. Well, drove up. There are no cars in the parking lot. I look, I, I'm thinking, well, it's already closed. I go around the back. There's like two cars. I walk in the front door. There's a guy sweeping up. I said, hey, can I talk to the minister? And he said, you're talking to it. I said, okay. <laughs> so we sat down, had, had a cup of coffee, and, we, and we're talking a little bit. And then I start asking about average daily. Said, so, yeah, the typical metrics. Yeah, you know, how many how many people do you have come through the ED? Oh, maybe you know a couple a month. Uh, well, you know, what's your ADC? Oh, we might have one every three or four days for a day or two. I said after about fifteen minutes, I finally said, "Can I ask you a question? Why are you still open?" And he does this. He said, "We've got some very powerful families in here. We're a big oil money county." We got some powerful families who just want a hospital in their town. And, and they didn't have a physician within 50 miles. They had a PA that was overseen by a 75-year-old physician in the next county. 
And so I'm like, you know, okay, this hospital probably could close. That's mm-hmm. that's probably okay. But there's a lot of other hospitals out there like the you know, that are small that really are serving their communities that need to stay open. So, and, and let's talk about let's talk about the new designation, the rural emergency hospital designation. Yeah, what are, what are you thinking about that? Do you think that's going to make any kind of difference for folks? No. Again, because my belief is you need to get the private pay money in there to cover the infrastructure. And and again, I don't think we should just be hard on the payers. Right. Um, sometimes the health systems are their own worst enemies. You know, we have two hospitals and they merge, and now we have two hospitals and a system office. <laughs> um, and... I believe that we spend too much time in the system offices, with all due respect, uh, talking to each other and not enough time at the front lines talking to patients, doctors, and nurses. And the action has to be down in the bedside and in the doctor's offices. And we've lost that with, with it, many health systems. And you, you don't find the answers you know, at the system office, uh, unfortunately. Um, and and so I have I have issues with that. The other issue I have, and I just encountered this, it's kind of interesting. My mother-in-law was recently admitted to a hospital um, and she was in a private room. And I realized there's only two places, I'm sorry, a semi-private room. There's only two places that you find a semi-private room. And that is in a hospital and in a jail. Huh. You know, I think, yeah. think about this. If we are going to justify our high prices, at least give somebody a private room. Yeah. If we are going to justify high prices, don't make them wait four hours in the emergency department. So in some respects, we are our own worst enemies. I mean, we should be paid a lot, but we need to operate these things. We got to get back to basics and operate really good hospitals. One, one last point. We now hear people talking about hospitals at home. My response is, we can't even write, run our hospitals within hospitals particularly well. <laughs> so, you know, again, I think we have a lot of good hospitals and all that other stuff, but we need to get back to basics and be great hospitals and focus at the bedside and in the, in the physician's offices more and less at the bureaucracy. But that's just my own opinion. No, I, uh, I I certainly can, can understand and respect that, too. You know, one of the things that, that, that I've encountered, and again, I've already said I'm a huge capitalist. I, you know, I'm all about competition and all that. But and, and the state of Texas does not have certificate of need. I have been I have worked in some states that do. And, and I'll be totally honest with you. Whenever I got there, I was a little angry because, you know, I was trying to open a home health agency. I go before the COA board and I get denied. I'm like, you know, what's the deal? We we can do it better than anybody else in our market. But as I've gotten older and maybe a little bit wiser, I recognize the fact, hey, you know, all it does is it becomes an arms race. You know, I build a, a, a home health agency, you build one, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So so what do you think about that? I mean, is that is that a partial solution, you know? Because I know that there that there are are towns that have hospitals of similar sizes, you know, decent tertiary care hospitals. And back in the day, you know, one hospital would focus on cardiac, one would focus on oncology, one would focus on trauma. 
But now, as you you know, you brought up systemness. Yeah, you know, now everybody thinks that they have to do everything and and take you know multiple resources in a community. So, well, there's two things there. Usually, one hospital is the dominant, the other hospital's weak, and they say, "Well, we have to stay in this market because it's our mission." And the answer is no. Get the hell out of that market. <laughs> You're wasting resources. Uh, and uh, so that's number one. Number two, if you're going to stay there, you really should merge because you need one hospital in a one hospital town. But the third thing you mentioned was home health. And that, that's a great point because few health systems have the competency to run home health agencies and they lose money. So we have a client and they came to us to say, we're losing money in home health. So we, what we did is an auction and we brought all the home health for-profit home health agencies that are making money in, and we sold 51% of the home health agency to people that know how to run home health agencies. So now this hospital got rid of a money loser. They now own 49% of a money winner, which is a home health agency, and they're affiliated with a home health agency. So they don't have lost the affiliation. They got rid of a loser, and now they own 49% of a profitable home health agency. So one of the things that health systems need to recognize is they can't necessarily be all things to all people. Some of these kind of affiliated services, like some of my clients, they don't run their ambulatory surgery centers. They have managers that know how to do that, uh, run their, their centers for them. So I think the other thing to keep in mind is we need to run our hospitals and we need to probably run our medical groups. But some of these ancillary businesses, there are people out there that may be better doing that than us. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you brought up a point, you know, when you said maybe if it's a two hospital town, maybe those hospitals merge. And boy, that that's that's a dirty word right there. But I have seen it work in a couple of uh, a couple of towns: Wichita Falls, Texas, for one, and El Dorado, Arkansas, for the other. Both and and also Searcy, Arkansas. Yeah, but all three of those towns had two hospitals that competed very, you know, vigorously against each other. But they finally figured out the best thing for their communities was let's come together and really provide great services. And, and so worked out really well. You know, maybe they used one campus as postacute or or they 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 shut it down, sold it off for something else. But they did what was best for their community. And, and I think you know that's exactly you know. You said that earlier. We need to get back to the basics. We need to go back to to our frontline staff, but we need to go to our communities and talk about, okay, what do we really need here? What do you need here? What do you need for us to provide for you in this in this community or in this market? Exactly. But one funny story about that in Oklahoma, there were two 50-bed hospitals, one in each town, and I said, this is crazy. You're trying to recruit the same doctors Mm-hmm. providing the same services, why don't you merge? And they say, you don't understand. Our high schools are the two biggest football rivals. There's no way we're going we're gonna to get together and merge these two hospitals. And so I guess you yeah. into that a little bit in Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, you know football's king here, Nate. So, yeah, so goes football, so goes the town. But, but yeah, and talking about that in, in the reverse, I was in a community in Nebraska many years ago, a great hospital. And we did some things that, you know, irritated some of the physicians. So what do they do? Hey, we're going to spin off and start our own hospital, which they did. 
Well, I left the market right before all that happened, but I've maintained some relationships. And now, yeah, the larger hospital that was a phenomenal hospital, you know, they're doing okay, but but not doing what they used to do. They can't provide all the services they used to. The other hospital, which is probably a third of the size, nice little hospital, but it can't do all the... So, so the community lost. The community lost services because people couldn't work things out. Right. Right. So, so let's see, well, what else do we need to really rail on? Because I'm feeling a little feisty today. Uh, what else do you got for me now? Well, well, one of the biggest things that um, I'm concerned about is the PBM industry. Just something to mention. It turns out that most health plans don't make money right now by managing health or managing medical care. They make money by getting... Some would call it a kickback. Some would, would call it a volume discount payment uh, from uh, selling drug, uh, buying drugs. Um, the Senate is and Congress is now looking at this very seriously. It turns out that when a health plan um, and their affiliated pharmacy benefit manager uh, buys a drug, um, the because they're buying that drug and not its competitor, they will get a um, what they call a rebate or a payment back from the manufacturer that could be as high as 50 to 70 percent. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, when you go to the drugstore and you pay your deductible and copayment, you're paying that before the discount. So they'll, they get an extra, extra money off of that. Um, but it turns out that the entire insurance industry is net more and more being funded by drug rebates as opposed to by managing care. Um, and I think it's something that's really interesting to watch. Um, and it's it's been such a secret thing that there are what they call rebate aggregators that are offshore. I mean, this is like a whole like weird thing that's going on. But just to give you an idea, since 2017, 67 million people in this country have been covered by fully insured health plans. And those health plans have made almost all of their money, their profits, not from managing care, but getting drug rebates on the drugs that these people have used. So it's just kind of an interesting phenomenon that's going on in healthcare right now. Um, and uh, it's just surprising. I didn't know this until I started looking at the data, but that's just another surprise. So people say all the time, well, hospitals should get into the insurance business. And my answer is, well, do you know how to get drug rebates? Because if you don't, you're going to lose a fortune. Right. So that's just, I mean, our industry, by the way, um, the U.S. healthcare system just beat out Germany as the fourth largest economy in the world. And so people say, well, the healthcare system has to change. Well, you try to change the fourth largest economy in the world. I mean, there's so many special interests that have locked in our system that we haven't seen any material changes, and we probably won't for a long time because everybody's locked in their special interests. So it's just kind of an interesting phenomenon. And unless you're it's a hobby like it is for me or you're an expert witness as I am 
and I dig into all this stuff, you really don't know what's going on underneath the surface uh, of the industry. So, um, and really what's going on to a large extent is that these health plans have a huge economic benefit and regulatory benefit. And again, I'm not here to, excuse me, choose the expression, but puke on them. If I was in their position, I would take the benefit that right. and I would do the same thing. The unfortunate thing is that the healers of this industry in the industry are the ones that are now hurting. Two thirds of the hospitals are now either break even or losing money, and eventually the patients are going to suffer. Now you're 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 dead on, Nate. Absolutely. So, well, and and we'll we'll, we'll talk about this real briefly. You know, I'm sure you know this, but the largest employer of physicians now is man our managed care companies. That's correct. You know, they're going out, they're they're buying up physician groups because you know, as you know, uh, there's the medical loss ratio that's limited for the managed care companies. But hey, you can pay a provider however much you want, and so if you own the providers, guess what? There's a lot of money going back and forth there, and profits continue to go up and up and up. Oh, the, well, there's this loophole that was created by the feds called Medicare Advantage. You know, Joe Namath sells these health plans on TV and Broadway Joe, and uh, people buy them, and they look like a good deal. I'm a Medicare patient, and I would never in my life join a Medicare Advantage plan because it limits your network. If I get some esoteric disease, I can't go outside the system. So I don't, you know, I'm going to spend my money on having free choice, but Anyhow, um, you join this Medicare Advantage plan, and the good news for me as a patient is I don't have to pay any premiums. The bad news is I have to use that network, but the good news for the health plan is it's a windfall profit for the health plan. So uh, essentially, that's where the health plans are making all their money now in Medicare Advantage, and so that's the game. They become they they become government contractors. Yeah, well, and and we're hearing more and more uh, health plans dropping uh, private insurance to go straight into Medicare Advantage. Right, because the because the rebates aren't that great any longer, and so and and what they're doing for your hospital is they pay you Medicare, but. They tend to deny certain claims, and so you're getting like 95% of Medicare. So just one strategy for hospitals, I tell hospitals, you have to get at least 110, 115% of Medicare in order to participate in Medicare Advantage. Otherwise, it's not worth it. You go out and network with them and tell them you don't have the capacity to see those patients, and maybe they'll come back and give you a better deal. Exactly. Well, Nate, I, I, I'm telling you, it's been a blast talking to you. I, I love being able to to uh, to uh, argue a rant with a with a with a fellow uh, colleague. So, any last words for my audience? Oh, I, I don't know. It's so com- th- this business is just so complicated. You know, I I would just say for the healthcare provider, I'm sorry, the sick care providers out there, um, you know. First of all, thank you. I'm 69. I have a I have a frozen shoulder. I just got over bronchitis, um, and you know people say, "Oh, where should be in the healthcare business?" And my attitude is, 
we get paid to be in the sick care business, and we shouldn't be ashamed of being in the sick care business. Everybody gets sick, and uh, you know we need sick care providers. And there's nothing better than a good sick care provider. And and when you cure somebody, especially one a relative or something like that, I mean, it's very gratifying. So my attitude is, you know, we should be grateful that we have such a good sick care system out there and uh you know just hopefully we got to keep fighting a good fight and the most important thing is advocacy um we need more advocacy for for the providers because um we're losing i mean we're losing in washington there's no question about it so yeah so so nate yeah as managing director of kaufman strategic advisors if somebody were to say i don't know want to engage with you maybe have you come speak or have you come and uh, help them out? How can they do that? Well, I, by the way, I also um, uh, partner in Matterhorn Investment Advisors. We are an investment banking firm, so okay. I have two jobs at this age, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can reach me at N, the number eight, at Kaufman, S-A-K-A-U-F-M-A-N, S is in Sam, A is in Albert.com, and... Uh, you can find me on the web, or um, as you mentioned, if you want to see somebody rant like crazy, I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, I get mad about once every 15 minutes, and so I'm posting occasionally, and I'm I'm always happy to talk to people and don't have a stopwatch next to my phone, so if anyone <laughs> ever has a question or anything, I'm always happy to chat, so. That's great, and Nate, Nate Kaufman, it's been fantastic having you here on I Don't Care With Me. Really enjoy it. We'd love to have you come back anytime. Uh, next time you get angry, just give me a call. We can do something. <laughs> and uh, certainly, I will continue to follow you on LinkedIn. But uh, folks, well, it's been a fun day, right? Yep. So uh, look forward to uh, to having you come back to uh, catch one of my podcasts here in the near future. Like I said, there are a lot coming down the pike. So get ready to enjoy a lot of good conversation. I'm Kevin Stevenson. And you've been listening and watching, watching I Don't Care. Take care.